All right. In your Bibles, would you please turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. What a remarkable time, what a wonderful time it has been with this overflow campaign. This past week, uh, I had a director's meeting down in Columbus. I had to go down for a day, and Dan and I and Jenny went, and and we're sitting there, and our state directors said, hey, I really want to share what's on my heart. And uh, he said, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. And Dan and I and James were looking at each other like, oh, we know where he's going. Sure enough, you talk about an overflow of God's love. And he said, there's so many things that we could talk about. He says, but it's nothing if we don't talk about God's love. And he talked about his children, similar ages to our children and younger. And, and he talked about how he loves his children. And then remind us, that's how God loves his children. That's us. That's how we are to love one another with the love of that Father. And then he just reminded us this. I need to love you like I love my kids. I need to love my neighbors like I love my kids. I need to love the person I run into at every like I love my kids. You know, I'm in my mid-40s, and I'm, I've probably figured this out many years ago, but isn't it wonderful when God sort of like turns on that little light bulb real quick and says, Hello? You're like, Wow, it's like I, I knew that already. But for some reason, when I hear it again, you hear it again, and all of a sudden it sort of clicks. It's like the love of God that He loves for me is the same love I need to pass on to everybody. Well, I don't like, okay, I understand you don't like them, but guess what? I have to love them with God's love. And uh, so I really appreciated that, hearing that again, and then coming back to this church family and saying, hey, you know, this whole overflow campaign. This is it today, first fruits. You're not going to hear much about overflow for the next three years. You're just going to be reminded every now and then, hey, whatever you committed to, stay faithful, keep giving. Okay, let's continue to be the church. And we will continue to focus on so many other biblical things. We've talked about evangelism, discipleship, now giving sacrificially. December, guess what we move in December? Guess what we're going to be focusing on? We're going to be focused on about Christ's coming and wiping out all these fearful things. There's a lot of fear busters you need to know about. I understand socially, financially. I understand that in relationships. I understand there's all kinds of things that can bring fear upon our lives. Christ came to eliminate a lot of that. We're going to talk about that in December. And I'm excited about as we go through the story of Jesus coming to this planet and how he does that. So thank you this morning for being a part of what this church has been wanting to focus on at Overflow. It's not just money. It's love. It's relationships. It's forgiveness. And I'm excited as we continue to focus on those many things. And so this morning, uh, as we get into God's Word in Luke chapter 4, I pray that the Scripture, as I've been praying, as I've been studying, reading, and preparing, um, that, that God just speaks to you in one way or another. You know, there could be 150 people, I don't know, 170 people, I don't know. God may speak 170 different ways this morning. Let's just pray that our ears are open. So let's do that. Let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you now because, Lord, we want to hear from you. Not from me, but from you. From your spirit. Lord, as we open up scripture, may your spirit speak through your words to us. Help us to be listening. 
Help us to be focused. Let all the worries of this past week, things that we think about as we sit here in a church, Lord, squash it. And may your spirit just pour over our hearts right now and open us up. In thy name we pray, amen. Let's read Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Soon he became well known throughout the surrounding country. He taught in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. Verse 16, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went, as usual, to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll containing the messages of Isaiah the prophet were handed to him. He unrolled the scroll to the place where it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has appointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the downtrodden will be freed from the oppressors. And from that, the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And everyone in the synagogue stared at him intently. Then he said, This scripture has come true today before your eyes. All who were there spoke well of him, and they were amazed by his gracious words that fell from his lips. How can this be, they said. Isn't this Joseph's son? Then he said, probably you'll quote me that proverb, physician, heal yourself, meaning why don't you do miracles here in your hometown like those in Capernaum? But the truth is no prophet is accepted in his hometown. And certainly there were many widows in Israel who needed help in Elijah's time when there was no rain for three and a half years and hunger stalked the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them. He was sent instead to a widow of Zarephath, a foreigner in the land of Sidon. Or think of the prophet Elisha. He healed Naaman, a Syrian, rather than the many lepers in Israel who needed help. Oh, when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. Jumping up, they mobbed him and took him to the edge of a hill on which the city was built. And they intended to push him over the cliff. But he slipped away through the crowd and left them. Verse 31. Then Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and taught there in a synagogue every Sabbath day. There, too, the people were amazed at the things he said because he spoke with authority. Once when he was in a synagogue, think about this, a man possessed by a demon began shouting to Jesus, Go away, why are you bothering us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One sent from God. Jesus cut him short. Be silent, he told the demon. Come out of this man. The demon threw the man onto the floor as the crowd watched, and it left him without hurting him further. Amazed, the people exclaimed, What authority and power! This man's words possess. Even evil spirits obey him and flee at his command. The story of what had done spread like wildfire fire throughout the whole region. In that first portion of Scripture, now this is what's going to happen. This is going to be like a sandwich this morning, okay? You've got the bottom bun, you've got the meat, and you've got the top bun. This is the bottom bun. This is the foundation. This is what I want you to hear, okay? And in this part, portion, we'll look back at Scripture with me at verse 15. He said there that he taught regularly, okay? As usual, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath. Look at verse 31. Jesus went to Capernaum, a town in Galilee, and he taught in the synagogue every Sabbath. Let me hear you say every Sabbath. Once, verse 33, when he was there in the synagogue, okay, 
what am I trying to point out here? What do we see in these scriptures? This is what I want you to see. We see that Jesus went to the synagogue regularly. Every Sabbath, he was in the church. He shows us the faithful, regular, attending church was a good thing. In scripture, we find these three particular visits to the synagogue. Sometimes we sit there and say, well, I don't need the church. I'm all, I can just sort of show up whenever. I want you to hear something. Jesus was there all the time. He saw this as important. He showed up at the synagogue. He was there and he taught, he participated. It was a good thing. But this is what I also want you to see. When he was at the church, he also faced opposition. Say what? Jesus faces opposition in the synagogue? Doesn't that sound odd? Showing up at church, people not liking you? Showing up at church and people hearing Jesus speak and not being okay with that? That sounds so crazy, right? Once they wanted to kill Jesus. Jesus got up, opened up the scroll, read from Isaiah. He said, oh, by the way, that's me. Rolls back up and everybody's like, wow, amazing, amazing. Then he's like, well, yeah, I know. You thought that was amazing, but you want me to do miracles. I'm not here for you alone. I'm here for everybody. Not just for the Jew, but for the Gentile. Oh, that really made them mad. They grabbed Jesus. They took him to the edge of the cliff. They were pretending to push him off the cliff to his death. But somehow, it's always a God thing, right? Somehow Jesus was like, eh, you can't touch us. And sort of turned and just sort of walked away. And I'm sure they were all amazed and thought, weren't we just about ready to push him off the cliff? What happened to him? Crazy. Can you imagine that? Man, Pastor Appreciation Month. Let's throw Pastor Rex off the cliff. All right. I'm glad homecoming has a nice slope. I could roll. It's all good, okay? We see that even Jesus encountered those whose hearts had been taken over by demonic activity. Another time in the synagogue, Jesus goes in there, and a demon-possessed man sort of stands up in church and starts spouting at Jesus. Wait a minute. You mean they're at the church, at the synagogue? Yes. Just because it was church or the synagogue doesn't mean it was perfect. There's people there whose hearts were not right with God. And in this particular moment, a man possessed by a demon gets up and starts shouting at Jesus. Look at what he says. There's four things I wanted to point out. First of all, he said this, go away. Let me hear you say, go away. Oh, that was a little too, too, no, I'm just kidding. Go away. Darkness and light don't mix. Anybody ever figure that out? Flip on the light switch, all of a sudden it's what? It's light, right? It isn't like you flip on the switch and only part of the room lights up. Darkness and light do not mix. Lightness shows up at the synagogue. The darkness there does not like it. I don't know if you ever feel uncomfortable around certain people in certain situations in which you know God is not there. Have you ever been into a place or a group of people and you know these people do not love God, they do not know about God. This is a very ungodly situation. I don't know if you've ever been there, okay? Many of you have. And you show up and all of a sudden you feel uncomfortable. All of a sudden they start treating you differently. Been there? Let me tell you why. Light and dark don't mix. Okay? I've had moments when I'm talking to groups of people and I start talking scripture. Hey, let me tell you about the greatest coach ever. His name is Jesus Christ. He had a team of 12. He had one who quit on him. His name was Judas. He had three captains, Peter, James, and John. He had one teammate who sort of doubted things. Coach, I don't know if we can really get this done. Are you sure you're the Savior? Okay, that was Thomas, okay? So, and I start telling teams about the greatest coach ever. Then I start sharing them from Proverbs. I start sharing certain scripture. And all of a sudden, I will see certain faces sort of 
wall. I'll see every now and then a coach who's like, you can just tell he does not want to hear God's word. Why is that? Because light and dark don't mix. It happens. You'll be places, you'll say things, and in maybe you won't hear their voice, but in their face, you can, you can hear this, go away. They don't want to hear from you right there and there. Jesus heard that verbally from this demonic man. First two words, go away. Then he said this, why are you interfering with us? Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Here's the thing. Jesus is messing up their plans. This man that was in this synagogue, and there might have been others, this was their plan. Let's mess up the church. Let's mess up the synagogue. Let's be so caught up in rules and rituals that we forget about that there's a Messiah, a Savior coming. Oh, we're not going to be a loving church. We're not going to be a giving church. We're not going to be a sharing church. We're not going to be a forgiving church. We're not going to be an encouraging church. We're going to be all grumpy, self-centered people. It's all about us. And Jesus steps in and says, uh-uh. And that demonic man says, stop interfering with us. We've got a different agenda. We've got a different plan. Just kill, steal, destroy. That's what the demonic activity is all about. And Jesus says, uh-uh. I come to give life and give it abundantly. This will be a church that is encouraging, loving, giving, sharing. This will be a church that goes out and reaches other people for Jesus Christ. And as soon as we as a church start doing that, guess what? We're interfering with the demonic activity of this world, which is real stuff. Because we're following Jesus Christ. So first thing this demonic man says is, one, go away. Two, stop interfering with us. Three, he says this, have you come to destroy us? You know what's crazy about this? That demon knew exactly how powerful Jesus Christ was. Did you come here to destroy us? Well, not yet. That's going to happen on that cross. When that takes place, you will have all power released from you. Fourth thing. He says, I know who you are. The Holy One of God. Please understand this. The demons know exactly who Jesus Christ is. The demons know Scripture. Demons might know Scripture better than most of us. Okay? That might be. They know the Bible. They know religious things, yet their lives are so unaccompanied by faith, hope, and love. They may know it. They don't live it. Knowing Scripture is one thing, but living it out in faith and love is another. So here's the thing. What does our knowledge of Scripture cause us to do? I do not want to be like that demonic man, okay? So it's one thing to know the Scripture, but here's the thing, Pastor Rex. Do you know the Scripture, but are you living the Scripture out? It might be one thing for me to get up here and read it to you and and preach it to you, but I've got to be living it out too. Otherwise, we're just like that demonic man. Oh, we know it, but are we living it out? Is there fruit in our lives? Is there evidence of Jesus being our Lord? If he's our Lord, he is Lord over us, we serve him, there should be fruit. Amen? Amen. J.C. Riley said this, Christ is the true antidote and remedy for all the soul-ruining mischief that Satan has brought on mankind. See, Christ is the appointed healer of every evil that's ever been brought into this world. And as he steps into the synagogue, he had been healing people physically, but now he's ready to heal spiritually as well. Jesus entered the synagogue on a regular basis. Sometimes it was great. And he read from the scrolls and he taught. Sometimes he found That happened. So let me ask you this. Why is it important that we pray for the church? Think about that. 
Why is it important that we pray for the church? Because according to what Jesus told his disciples, he said this. He said, now I say to you, Peter, which means rock, upon this church, upon you, I will build my church. It started with the disciples. Jesus said, I'm all about building up the church. A group of believers come together to worship. All the powers of hell will not be able to conquer it. Conquer what? Christians? No, the church. See, we can't be the church at home. You're a Christian at home. You're a believer in Christ at home. We can maybe try to worship God on our own at home, but you know what? No. It's worshiping together as a church. It's loving together as a church. It's taking communion together as a church. See, here's the thing. Alone, yeah, you can go out and serve. You can do that. Alone, you can go out and worship. But you do that as an individual believer. Some people are like, well, I was being the church today or I had church at home. You can't have church at home. This is the church. A group of believers worshiping God. We can do church in here. We can do church out there. The group of people, body of believers, to do church. And Jesus came to establish the church. So within the church, is it important that we pray for one another? Yes. Because opposition can come in at any time, anywhere. So we pray for the church. Now let's continue in Scripture. That's one part of this. Okay, that was the bottom bun of the sandwich, okay? Continue in Scripture. We see Jesus move from this public setting, because here he's in this public setting, because we always see Jesus publicly. Now watch this. He moves into a private setting. Look at verse 38. Luke chapter 4, verse 38. After leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus went to Simon's home, Peter's home, where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. Please heal her, everyone begged. And standing by her bedside, he spoke to the fever, rebuking it. And immediately, her temperature returned to normal. She got up at once and prepared a full meal for them. Let's go on and read verse 40 and 41. As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. Some were possessed by demons. The demons came out at the command, shouting, You're the Son of God. But because they knew he was the Messiah, he stopped them and told them to be silent. So here's the deal. Jesus leaves the synagogue, and now he goes to Peter's house. Now, first of all, something so simple, but I don't know if many of us overlooked this. Do we all know that Peter was married? Do we all know that? We always think about the 12 disciples, and we think, here's 12 single guys running around. Did you know Peter was married? I don't know if you read the scripture here closely. He went to uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law's house, went to his house with his mother-in-law. So he had to be married, right? Okay, now why does that seem so simple? Because family is important, that's why. Family is important. And this is sort of normal. His mother-in-law is at his house. They're all, it's sort of like the Waltons. Anybody remember the Waltons? Yeah, good night, John boy. Yeah, okay. For the younger generation, it's just that show out in the country where everybody's in the same house. Brothers and sisters, mom and dad, grandma and grandpa. And when they ate, they all ate around this long table. There's the Waltons, okay? Understand that at this time, this is sort of the way it was. Everybody sort of lived in the same house. You commune together, okay? So, here we are at home, mother-in-law's lying in bed, sick with a high fever. Understand this too, biblical times, high 
fever basically meant you're on your way to death. Okay? So the scene is sort of like that hospital scene. Families have gathered in. Bless you. And if you remember this, uh, if you, you've, some of you have been there, right? Intensive care unit. Everybody's around the bed. And you're, you're, you're distraught. You're emotional. You're crying. You're praying. You're wondering, are they going to make it? You call on people, pray for them, pray for them. You're stepping out in your room and you're in the waiting room and you're circling up there praying and it's just, it's very heartbreaking, it's hard. This is the scene. Because Peter's mother-in-law is not expected to live. She's got a high fever. Everybody knows she's not going to be here long. Jesus comes to the house. Everybody begins pleading and begging. That's that scene where we're all on our knees at the hospital pleading and begging with God in prayer to heal the one we love, right? And it's in this moment, and, and, and not every moment, okay, that Jesus defies nature. See, here's the thing. Listen, reality is fevers like this should overtake our bodies and take us out, okay? Sickness is a part of what we have to face in life. For some reason, we think we're entitled to life to an old age. We're not. When Adam and Eve sinned, sin entered this world. Death entered this world. Sickness entered this world. All that comes in. We are not expected to live at a longer age. Now, thanks to medicine and different sciences, we've learned to conquer a few of these things, but not everything. Why is it? Sin and death have entered this world. Sickness has entered this world. So in this situation, when we look at this, this is the moment when Jesus steps in, when they, this doesn't happen all the time, Jesus steps in and says, in this moment when she should die, I'm going to keep that from happening. We call these miracles. Let me hear you say miracle. We, you know, we take miracles for granted. There's times we sit there and we know they should have died. That should have not happened. Guess what? That's when God steps in. He doesn't step in all the time, but there's times when God does step in and says, you know what? This is what's supposed to happen. I'm going to change the story. And a miracle takes place. The amazing thing we see in this story is that she wasn't only healed, she was restored. When you get over a fever, you're weak, aren't you? I mean, you, you get done, you, you're like, oh, I'm so glad I got rid of my fever. But you're still weak. You're still tired. You still want to collapse on that couch, that bed, and say, I just need one more day to recuperate. And a lot of us, we try to bounce back to work too quick, and what happens? We end up back in bed the next day because we overdid it, and that sickness comes back. Check out what happens. Peter's mother-in-law pops out of bed, makes a meal for Jesus and the family. It was immediate. Jesus rebuked that fever. She's like, I feel awesome. What do you guys want to eat? Um, what do you, you want to have? Okay, uh, Peter, James, John, okay, Thomas, okay, everybody, come, let's, let's go, Jesus. There's some bread? I don't know. Just guessing? Okay, what do you want? You know, starts taking all these orders. She goes in. She cooks up a storm. And she serves and feeds everybody. What an incredible story. That's a beautiful picture of Thanksgiving, isn't it? Jesus heals us from our sins, our sickness. Listen, he saves us from hell. I, do we take that for granted or what? How do we show him Thanksgiving? How do we thank our Savior on a daily basis? God, thank you for saving me hell. Thank you for saving me from my sins. Thank you for saving me from that moment when I know I could have really blown my top and thank you for cooling me down. God, thank you for healing souls. God, thank you. 
How do we say thank you? Do we serve? Do we give back? See, sometimes we fall into this mood of entitlement. We act as if these things were supposed to be this way. I'm a believer. Jesus is supposed to step in. He's supposed to do this, right? Not necessarily. Remember the world we live in. It's a fallen world. And when Jesus steps in, it's by his grace and mercy. And if you think just because you're a believer in Christ, you should have everything given to you, somebody told you a lie. Don't listen to that lie. When we experience healing or obvious moments of blessings from God, we should be praising God. We should be giving shouts of joy and celebration, a few yay gods. You know, this morning, you know, you know you, this is what I, I'm so appreciative of this church. I really am. When Joy shared how much money was get, sold at that garage sale, you were pretty excited about that, and you clapped. That was awesome, okay? And then the opportunity then to give a lot of that away to people for free who were hurting and needed it. You clapped just as much. Thank you. It wasn't just about selling things to help out the church, but it was giving away things to also be the church in which you celebrated. Thank you for having that kind of a heart that understands that. I, you know, and I, I love how this particular story is sort of nestled right in the mini, mi, middle of his public ministry. Like I said, it's that sandwich. It's, it's the, he's in the synagogue. He's doing public ministry. And then, then he goes into the home of Peter's family and ministers to him. And then there's the top bun, okay? The top bun is him going back out. Look at verse 42. Early the next morning, Jesus went out to an isolated place. This is called quiet time. Let me hear you say quiet time. The crowd searched everywhere for Jesus, but when they finally found him, they begged him not to leave. But he replied, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that's why I was sent. So he continued to travel around preaching in the synagogues throughout Judea. Isn't that sort of a crazy story? He's in the synagogues. They love him, hate him. They want to throw him off a cliff. Still love him. He goes into the private home of Peter, spends time with the family, does an incredible miracle, goes back out, has his quiet time, foundation of the church and scripture, prayer time, communion with Father, and then the family's right in the middle of all that. That's how I look at the scripture, okay? And, and at the top part is they're like, they're like begging him, don't leave. Did you want to throw me off a cliff? Don't leave, don't leave. It's like, no, no. You know why I'm here? To share the gospel. Not just here, but over there and over there and over there and over there. I love how Jesus teaches in public and doing miracles, worshiping God, reading scriptures. Like I said, that's a just great foundation, but then that middle part of the sandwich where he reaches into a family, going into their personal lives, touching them, As we get ready here to close here soon on this service, I don't know what God's been laying on your heart, but right now is a good time just to stop and silently pray. God, what am I supposed to hear out of this? God, what am I supposed to apply from this? Your word is incredible. What am I to do with this? Spirit, speak to me. You know, I know God's spirit's going to speak to you, but this I know there's incredible value for the church coming together. I do know that. To worship on a constant and regular basis. I do know that. And Scripture shows me that. So we can maybe learn the value of coming together as a church. Maybe this morning God's saying, there's value in you getting alone with and communing with your Heavenly Father. Maybe God's speaking to you about family today. We can learn that Jesus wants to be the Lord of your life in the midst of your family relationships too. And that's what I would say. As I read this scripture, thinking about what Jesus did in public and 
and the foundation of all that, right in the middle was that family. And you know what that shared with me, made me think? Jesus wants to be a part of your family. Guess what's coming in a few days? Thanksgiving. Some of you might even be getting together today with some of your family. As you start gathering with your family, listen very carefully. Jesus wants to be there with you. He wants to be in the midst of your family. He loves it when you all get together with your family. And I understand that some of you probably aren't excited about all that getting together with your family. Relationships are valuable. Family is valuable. And Jesus shows that by walking into Peter's life. He was one of his disciples. I mean, you think about this. Let me put that back into the term I used earlier, Jesus being a great coach with his team. How many coaches do you know go to one of their players and say, what's going on in your home life? What? I noticed you're not having a good day. You okay? Well, things aren't good at home. Let's go to your home. Let me go talk with your mom and dad. Can I pray with you at your home? Wouldn't that be an incredible coach? How about your boss at work? What if your boss at work noticed you're having a bad day at work and they came up and said, what's going on? Well, things at home. Really? Can I go at home with you and pray with you at your home? Can I enter into your family and pray with you? Wow. Wouldn't that change the relationship you have with your employer? Jesus does this. I'm trying to give you that picture there of that, okay? Now, so when I'm saying Thanksgiving's coming, let me ask you this. Some of you can't wait, right? You're, you're ready for that turkey. You don't want those leftovers mac and cheese, right? Some of you can't wait. You, you're like, I can't wait for it. And some of you are like, I wish it wasn't coming. Some of you are like, I don't, our family, ooh, okay? Some of you uh, won't get together because of that. Some of you get together all the time. Matter of fact, some of you, <clears throat> Hewners, get together so often that you wonder when Thanksgiving is. Right? What does your, chest, uh, your checklist list look like? Um, I can't say it. Checklist look like. If you're, if you're going to have Thanksgiving in your house, what's going on right now? What's going on in your mind? Oh, come to my house. Clean, cook, arrange, uh, sort, uh, put this in the right. And if you're going somewhere, you're like, okay, if I'm heading out, uh, what am I going to pack? What do I got to prepare in advance to take with me and all this? You know, I looked at the radar. And uh, back in Indiana where my mom and dad live, they've got the lake effect snow going on. They're supposed to get two to four inches today. And I'm sitting there going, oh, I love, I don't know what it is. I love going to my mom and dad's at Thanksgiving and seeing snow on the ground. There's just something special about that, okay? course it probably won't happen because it's weather okay but I'm preparing you know I'm sort of thinking okay in a few days when we go there to spend a day or two what's it going to be like you sort of prepare you know and Jenny's in the back of her mind she think okay this is the food we got to take to my mom and dad's whatever you know we're preparing so we got this checklist going but let me ask you this what happens when you finally arrive once that day arrives what happens is there celebration is there joy or is it a battle zone are people sitting around talking or are they sitting around texting with their heads down? Nobody's communicating because they're all right here. Is it, a, is it a time of, hey, let's play games or it is, let's just look at a game, you know? Everybody has a different situation going on, right? I'll never forget when Jenny and I were first married, and you understand this, when you first have that relationship with your spouse, um, you try to figure out the holidays, Okay, we're going to spend this holiday at yours and this holiday at mine. You know, you sort of figure all that holiday stuff. At that point in time in our life, I don't even remember, I don't think we had kids yet. Um, but we were going to go to Thanksgiving with her family. And they went to a middle school and they had a big potluck there. And then we were going to leave from there and go right to Indiana. So we 
pull in where you know, I'm thinking I'm to that point of uncomfortable to comfortable with their family. I'm feeling like I'm fitting in. So we're getting there and we're in line and it's this big table full of food and I'm like, oh, this is great. You know, then we're going to go to mom. So I'm standing there moving along the line, putting things in. And one of Jenny's cousins gets the salad and uh, she gets this big bottle of French dressing and she just starts shaking it up to, you know, because you know some of the ingredients go to the bottom. And she starts shaking it up and I'm standing there and all of a sudden the lid popped off and went, just that splattered with French dressing. I was like, I don't like French dressing. It smells, okay? Sort of like my sloppy Joe mix. But anyway, I was like, it's okay. Oh, I'm covered in French. I was like, I felt like I needed a, a pack of dogs just to like lick me clean or something. It was gross. And it was so messy. And then, I, and the thing was, we were going right from there to Indiana, so there was no going home and showering. So the drive to Indiana for the next two hours was a stinky drive. I could not wait to get to my mom and dad's shower. But when I thought of that whole situation, here's, here's let, me, let me hear you say this. It's messy. Let me hear you say this. Sometimes holidays are that way, aren't they? Sometimes you're going to go to somebody's house, and it's, it's a mess. People don't get along with each other. People gripe, or, you know, and sometimes it's really fun, and other times it's really messy. Um, did you see what happened with Jesus and his family? When Jesus comes into the house, things change. Sometimes getting together with family is awesome. Sometimes it's messy. And I'm going to say this to you. If you know your holidays are coming up and it's going to be messy, I want to encourage you now to start preparing your heart. Let Jesus rule here. So as you go to your family's house, he rules there as well. And if you see what's recorded about Jesus and family, it's obvious that spending time with family is important. Healing family members is important. Let me tell you something. Disease is nothing more than a defect in the body, like sin. Unforgiving hearts, anger, whatever it is that's going on in our hearts, is just like a disease, like a fever. And sometimes we sit there and think, if I could just pop a couple Advil or something, and get rid of it, that'd be great. But you know what? Sometimes you can't. Jesus likes to, as he likes to remove fevers, likes to remove sin in our lives too. He likes to remove the hurt and heartache that's going on in our hearts. It's not intended when God first created this world, when sin entered the world, long came sickness and death as well, and it's part of this fallen world. Demon possession, sickness, emotional breakdowns, pain, suffering, relational discord. It's a part of the fallen world. Broken relationships is like sickness. It's not what God planned for our lives. Please hear that this morning. Invite God into your family reunions. Invite God into those relationships that are rocky right now. Healing must take place. You see, when Jesus left the crowds publicly, he entered into the relationships of families privately. Families are not supposed to be messy, but they are, right? The home is not supposed to be a war zone, but sometimes they are, right? Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 40. Out of all the scripture, this one is just good. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. No matter what is going on in your heart, no matter what is going on in your body, no matter what it is, it's the touch of our masters that's going to heal us. On our own, we can try to fix this. It's going to be tough without Jesus. Jesus came 
to do what? Public ministry, right? But he also came to do private ministry within our hearts, within our family. So this Thanksgiving, I hope and pray that it is a great Thanksgiving for all of you, that you're able to minister to each other at your homes and pray for one another, encourage one another, love one another, because that would really, truly honor God. I know it's going to be tough for some of you. I know some of your family backgrounds, and I know it's going to be rough. Okay? Know that you're being prayed for. Know that Christ goes with you through all of it. Amen? Would you please stand? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you, Lord, that we had the opportunity to open up your word and learn from your scripture. Lord, I thank you that you want to be involved in our lives and heal things in our lives, not just fevers, but our hearts, our relationships. That matters to you, God, because you know that family matters. So, Lord, as we prepare for Thanksgiving, Lord, we ask that you speak to us. We thank you, Lord, that we can come and gather here regularly and that we can have our quiet times. But, Lord, help us live that now in our family. Let us love like you love. Lord, as we sing to you now a song of worship, we thank you, Lord, for the many gifts that you give us. Lord, as we sing, we thank you for saving us from hell. We thank you for giving us grace that we don't deserve and mercy we don't deserve. We thank you for homes, for clothes, for food. We thank you for air. We thank you that we could walk in this morning. We thank you for so many things, Lord. Let us sing back to you now songs of praise. In our name we pray. Amen.